to Be Allocators podcast, where we go inside the minds of financial decision makers and their allocation priorities for 2023 and beyond. I'm your host, Sherrod Ross. And today I'm joined by Rajiv Viswanathan, CFO and managing partner of Forum Asset Management. Forum is an alternative asset manager, investor, and developer with an enterprise value of assets under management exceeding $1.7 billion. Welcome, Rajiv. It's a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, Sharon. So before we start, do you mind introducing yourself and providing a bit more background about the business and your role? Sure. Rajiv Ashwanathan. I'm the CFO managing partner, as you said, Sharon, uh, here at Forum Asset Management. Uh, most people probably haven't heard of Forum, but we've actually been around for 25 years. I would tell you that the last 25 years, we're really focused on investing our own balance sheet into infrastructure, private equity, and real estate with a focus on development. And I joined Forum about two years ago to help build an asset management business. And what that really means is for the first time, we're inviting third parties to invest alongside us in our private funds in the similar verticals, private equity, infrastructure, and real estate. So how does that work? Is it is it a fund structure or are you co-investing alongside a group of investors? Like how, how does it actually work in practice? Yeah, sure. So today we've launched private funds and so we are the sponsor of each of these funds. Generally, we're the largest investor in these funds. And what we've done is we've raised third-party capital from the private wealth channels and institutional channels to invest alongside us in these private funds that's, that have their own capital allocation mandates, uh, their own strategies, their own risk-return profiles. Got it. Okay. So let's just jump into it. So, you know, thinking forward-looking the next 12 months, I mean, the last, you know, 6 to 12 months have, have been pretty interesting in the markets. Walk me through how you're thinking about capital allocation between the different asset classes that you have some exposure to. Yeah, maybe what I'd start with by saying is having these private fund structures where forum invests alongside third parties results in capital allocation decisions happening in multiple levels, not only at forum's balance sheet, but also each of our fund mandates. So when we think about capital allocation decisions, particularly over the last 12 months, what I'll focus my comments on really is Forum's balance sheet, the balance sheet that you know I'm responsible for as a private company. I do wear quite a few other hats in terms of helping manage our private funds, but I'll, I'll really focus my comments really at, at the Forum level. So at the Forum level over the last 12 months, what we've seen is inflation and a significant rise in interest rates. I've been following things very closely over the last, let's call it 12, 13 years. I've never seen a more volatile time. And so when we think about our capital allocation last year, and I say even going into this year, we're really on risk off mode. And when we think about our balance sheet, the things that sort of take companies down is not having access to liquidity. And so we've got four categories of where we allocate capital, broadly speaking, the four categories from from riskiest to least risky, and also that risk sort of has a a return component, sort of venture capital, development, something that's part of our DNA we've been doing for 25 years, development projects, ground up real estate development projects, things such as the Billy Bishop Airport Tunnel, which is something that we built. So that's sort of what we call bucket three. Bucket two, stable cash-flowing assets that provide a yield and have permanent financing on them. And then I would say sort of bucket one really is cash, cash and, and instruments that are similar to cash. And so the way we're, we've been thinking about things really is liquefying our balance sheet 
having access to liquidity to be able to take advantage of, let's call it dislocation in the market, but also uh, making sure that we're able to protect our own balance sheet. So we were, I would tell you, we're overweight sort of in our bucket two in terms of risk return profile. And we're looking now with some, let's call it stabilization and rates, we're looking to sort of reallocate into our our bucket three uh, category, which is really development. But all that being said, with maintaining a really strong balance sheet, and I would tell you more access to liquidity than we've ever had. Does that answer your question, Sharon? Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I mean, and, and that seems to be, so it seems like you are arming the war chest to you know make some some bets in the next 12 months. Is that you know a good way to think about it? I think that's a good way to think about it. I would tell you, you know, I was very fortunate to be at, uh, for example, Brookfield early in my career. And it's during periods like this where there's volatility, where there's dislocation in the markets. And those who have access to capital who are able to move very quickly are able to generate, I would tell you, outsized returns. And by dislocation, do you mean opportunity versus valuations or what what specifically are you drilling into into that line yeah i guess there's multiple ways to look at dislocation you know what you sometimes see is undercapitalized sponsors on projects and they need to raise capital very quickly to be able to save their projects you have distressed situations where the lender has taken over a property or a project or an investment or you have things where let's call it a sponsor needs to repatriate some capital very quickly and they're they're less price sensitive and they want to basically be able to protect their own balance sheet so we're starting to see what i would say opportunities come up that we haven't seen for some time and for those who are able to act very quickly have certainty on capital and are able to underwrite and move you know, I think there's opportunities that are emerging. Are you seeing valuations stabilize or are you still seeing volatility in how things are priced? You know, I think this is the interesting thing between the public and private markets. Obviously, the public markets had probably one of their, a very bad year last year. Things have sort of stabilized early in the year. And so you're seeing sort of a disconnect between, let's call it public market valuations and private market valuations. And what I'd say is, we're seeing sort of private market valuations. There's a disconnect between buyers and sellers. And it's, I would call it in price discovery mode right now. And so I would tell you, generally speaking, we think values for real estate, multiples for private equity, so on and so forth. Generally, I would tell you there's a downward bias in valuations or neutral. How are you seeing interest rates dictate your capital allocation decisions in terms of which assets you go after. Like I, I imagine the real estate opportunities right now are harder to underwrite um, just given some of the you know volatility in, in, in interest rates. So just want to you know get your comments on how you, how, how you view the market right now. So first, what I would say is, you know, for the last many, 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 many years, real interest rates have been negative when you factor in inflation. And that continues to be the case, although less so with where yields have gone. I'll use real estate, for example, that you you talk about, Sherrod. Generally speaking, real estates are the types of assets that we invest in. Generally, you're able to put on long-dated financing, 10-year, 15-year financing, fixed rate. So you're able to take interest rate risk sort of off the table once you're able to fix it. And you generally build a very well-staggered debt maturity ladder so you don't have rollover risk in a particular period of time. 
And so like that sort of, let's call it fundamentals around how you build, how you manage your debt, your indebtedness. I would tell you where we've been extremely active on things really is on interest rate hedging. Given the volatility in the market and what we're seeing, we've, you know, we've basically with quite a few counterparties established credit. So when we see the opportunity to hedge out interest rate, let's call it lock in, lock in sort of certainty, we're taking those opportunities. We're trying to take risk off the table. There's there's way too many other variables out there today that interest rate risk is something that we are more than happy to pay a bit of insurance on to take that out of the equation. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So maybe just to pivot a bit in terms of how you, like how do you purchase internally for forum? Do you mind walking me through the last time you purchased, uh, you know, maybe it was a software, maybe it was, you know, equipment, walk me through how those decisions were made and potentially specific example if, if possible. Uh, maybe it, should I talk about uh, software shared? Is that helpful? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a that's a good example. I think to just think about how how CFOs think about software. Yeah. So look, I alluded to earlier in this podcast that uh, about two years ago we launched an asset management platform, which really means allowing third party investors to invest alongside us in our funds. So part of that means building what we call an operating platform. Okay, to be able to service our investors, to be able to report to them, so on and so forth. Uh, so in the real estate space, one of the typical ERP systems is Yardi. That's uh, you know well known to most you know real estate people. And so the decision around that was, uh, given our aspirations to grow our real estate business significantly, and particularly one of our private funds where we have rental housing, it was a pretty easy decision, to be honest, around how do we build a business and a platform that's scalable? And so we have people, we've got the process, but we don't have the technology. And so that was that's a project that we're that's still underway with the idea that once we have, you know, a technology platform in place, the, the ability to grow our, our fund, let's call it from today, 400 million of rental housing assets to 2 billion should be able to be done without much pain and effort. So for Yardi, is that something that you identified the pain point, you had someone on your team source existing vendors, did some evaluation, or was this a proactive approach by Yardi reaching out to to your company or yourself and making the, the hard pitch? No, I would say it was the former. You know, we understood that we need to build that operating platform, that foundation to be able to scale and grow. We call it a scalable platform is a term that we use quite a bit. Uh, so we were pretty proactive on that. We knew it was one of those necessary foundational elements we needed to do to achieve uh, our objectives, near term and longer term. Look, it doesn't, I was just going to say, I think you get it. This is, we're in one of the tightest labor markets. And so, you know, the ability to automate, to leverage technology, you get multiple return on that investment. So in that vein, what what's kind of keeping you up at night right now? Huh. What's keeping me up at night? I would tell you on the investment side of things, what's keeping us up at night is visibility into when, th- when things are going to settle down. We're still seeing a very volatile environment. It's very tough to raise capital. It's very tough. We're finding opportunities. But what I would tell you is the capital, the people who, who invest alongside us 
are everybody's in risk off mode right now. They're waiting to see how things settle. And, you know, we have, I, I would tell you, you know, we have a pretty significant growth aspirations. And so being able to, you know, where we want to take the business, one of the key things is being able to find like-minded investors to work alongside. And what I tell you is a lot of the like-minded investors today, everybody's sitting on their hands. Yeah. There's a lot of uncertainty out there. So, yeah. So, I mean, even in our business, I feel, you know, in software and B2B SaaS forecasts are, are constantly being you know updated. And I think there's just so much uncertainty with, with most businesses today that it's, it's hard to truly perfect a forecast right now. So it's interesting. Absolutely. If you had to take, you know, if you had a crystal ball, where, where do you believe interest rates are going next year? Oh, where do I think interest rates are going next year? I think it's relative to where people think they are today. I think they're going higher relative to the expectations today. I think what you're seeing is there's inflationary pressures that everybody thought was going to be tampered down with where banks took rates last year. And you're seeing that a lot of these inflationary pressures continue to be there. When you talk about that and you talk about how globalization in a lot of cases is becoming more like-minded, you know, trading partners becoming more, more like-minded, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, Krista Freeland said it one time, right? You know, we need to be doing more trading with like-minded countries, you're talking about generally an inflationary environment, really tough to get labor, even though you know you hear about tech layoffs, really tough to get great people. So I think, you know, I think the inflationary pressures are here to stay. You're not going to see rates where they were pre-COVID. Yeah, so they're going to be higher. I think they're going to be higher than what everybody expects. Do you sense that the folks that are sitting on cashable assets right now will begin to deploy at a much more aggressive pace next year, or do you see that trend continuing into next year? I, I guess what I would tell you is when I think about a lot of the institutions in Canada, they continue to be collecting capital. So talk about the Canadian pension funds, right? Their, their all pension obligations they need to pay are a lot less than what they're, what they're collecting in cash today. And so what I tell you is all of these pension funds, whatever, have a rate of return that they need to achieve. And so sitting on cash, even though it's better than what it was pre-COVID, which was effectively zero, certainly better than it is today, what I tell you is they need to put money to work. And so I, I think this year you're going to start to see more money getting put to work. But what that depends on is really that price discovery between buyers and sellers which are still, there's still a disconnect there between the bid and ask. Yeah, it's a bit of a chicken and the egg situation right now. This is what it senses from the market, right? So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Rajiv. I appreciate you joining and sharing your insights. You know, it was really great getting to, to chat with you. That's all the time we have for today. We'll see you next time on the Allocators Podcast. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Allocators. Join us next week for a new discussion where we get inside the mind of a financial decision maker. I'm Sherrod Ross. See you next time.